podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router. And any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Good boys and girls, two for the podcast, Friday the 20th of January, cold, bright but cold, never too cold for Danny Ings though, Danny Ings heading south, joining West Ham United for £15 million from Aston Villa, deal is done, completed and he will be good to play tomorrow in their relegation six-pointer against Everton. Uh, should Danny Ings score in that game, it will be the highlight of his Liverpool career. Uh, that is now Burnley, Aston Villa and West Ham all on Danny Ings' CV. The man loves a bit of claret and blue. Myself and Guy have done a bit of research 
and we have deduced that the following clubs should prepare themselves for the arrival of Danny Ings in the future. Trabs on Spore. Danny Ings does seem like the type of fella who'd go to Turkey for a couple of years. Colorado Rapids, MLS, absolutely. Just stay off the ski, the ski slopes, Danny. With them knees, not, not good. And then he can retire at Scunthorpe. I mean, I think that's the next eight years of Danny Ings. Couple of years at West Ham, couple of years in Turkey, couple of years in MLS, and he just retires with a season at Scunthorpe. Fantastic. Danny, if you need an agent, just let me know. Uh, West Ham are selling a player as well, by the looks of things. Craig Dawson on his way to Wolves for $3.3 million. He won't be available for tomorrow. He hasn't had a medical or signed anything yet, but the fee is agreed, according to Simon Stone of the BBC. Um, as a depth signing for Wolves, pretty good. He shouldn't be getting in the team over Collins or Kilman, but for depth, it's not a bad signing for them. Um, strange that Moyes is agreeing to let him go, but I suppose with Agard being back fit, Albana being back fit, the new Brazilian kid, Lazao, coming over, Zuma there, career there, that was going to be a shortage of minutes for Dawson. So on he moves. Um, a bit of an odd one in some respects because, you know, Craig Dawson, I suppose, kind of made his name playing for West Brom. That's where everybody really got to know him. And he was at West Brom for nine years, get a couple of loan spells, but seven and a half seasons playing for West Brom, uh, racked up a total of 225 games and now joining their biggest rivals. So uh, that might not go down well with some people in the black country. Uh, Wolves are also moving a player on, Gangalo Guedes, signed in the summer from Valencia for $27.5 million, is joining Benfica or has joined Benfica on loan for the rest of the season. There is no option to buy or anything like that. So it may just be about getting him out to get him games and get him back in rhythm and maybe back in form. But it's a, it's an odd one. It's an odd one. Bournemouth have completed the signing of Dango Oatara from Laurent for twenty million. Uh, he turned up for his unveiling wearing a shirt that had very clearly just been taken out of taken out of a packet. You would think someone would have grabbed an iron for the poor lad and thrown an iron over it to take out some of the creases. But Bournemouth fans should be excited. This is a very, very talented player who isn't really what they need, but will give them a renewed attacking threat. Uh, he's having a very good season for Laurent, six goals, six assists in 18 games. He is only 20, remember. Five goals and 11 caps for Burkina Faso. Five and a half year contract, so it is a long-term commitment. You would imagine they've already spoken with him about the possibility that, look, we may go down here. But we've seen really talented wingers go down and do well in the championship. And then when they come back up, they're already a better player. Ishmael Asara being prime example. And he's in the championship now for the second time. So 
you know, with Bournemouth having uh, new ownership, they're obviously looking to make a bit of a splash. And, and this is a this is an interesting move for them. Another winger who's on the on the move. This one away from the south coast. Leandro Trossard joining Arsenal. Uh, twenty one million plus add ons rising to about twenty eight million. I think this is a good signing. I called for this a couple of weeks ago. I think it's a better move than Mudrik personally because he is more versatile, more proven, an awful lot cheaper. And I saw some people say, oh, look, his age. Like, he's only 28. He's only 28. He's not 35. You get him on a three and a half year deal. I think it's a fairly solid move. I don't think you can look at it any other way. I think it's a good move for a versatile forward who fills in in a number of positions. Arsenal are making another move. Jakub Kiwor, I think that's how you pronounce it, coming from Spezia, Polish international centre-back, left-footed, decent on the ball, not expansive, but decent on the ball, comfortable enough in possession. Also has plenty of experience playing left-back, has played a little bit of holding midfield. So he fits the bill that they've been looking for since the summer. You remember they tried to sign Lisandro Martinez, left-footed centre-back who can play left-back and holding midfield. So with them now, if their starting defence is White, Saliba, Gabriel and Zinchenko, now they have him with the ability to play centre-back and left-back. Obviously, Kieran Tierney can play centre-back and left-back, but it wouldn't surprise me if he looks to move in the summer. And then Tommy Asu can play right-back and right-centre-back. So, you know, six players basically for the four defensive positions. Makes seven players with Tierney. Makes sense to me. And they've still got Rob Holding knocking around um, as an extra centre-back if he's ever needed. Not that he should be. But yeah, I, I think this is um I think this is clever business from Arsenal. I do. I, I think this is the type of thing you should do in their position right now. They're they're buying from a position of strength and they're buying players that should be plug and play into their system. One thing they have lacked is that backup for Gabriel. And now they get that and they've lacked a decent goal-scoring option off the bench, and I think Trossard offers that as well. Um, They still have Smith-Rowe to come back. They still have Jesus to come back as well. So all things considered, I think it's a very healthy move by Arsenal and a very clever move. Nottingham Forest are making signings because Nottingham Forest love a signing. And who better for Forrest to sign than Wood? Chris Wood on his way from Newcastle to Nottingham Forest on loan until the end of the season with Forrest having an option to buy. I'm surprised Newcastle are so willing to let him go at this point because I think he's been really, really important for them this season. Even if he is the third option up front, I think he's been really important. But They've decided to let him move on. I think it's a good get for Forrest. I don't think he's the type of player who'll demand to play every game. But I think him and Brennan Johnson up front 
him and a Wani up front, him and Emmanuel Dennis up front, that's a lot of good options. So on loan, there's no real risk here. Forrest have done well in this window. Scarpa, Scarpa, Danilo is a brilliant signing. And I think this is a decent move. I think this is a decent move. I wonder, will they look to move anyone else? Uh, move for anyone else? We'll see. They might look to move a couple out, is the kind of sense you get from looking at what the reporters are saying. But um, all things considered, I think it's a it's a clever move. We have breaking news. Milan Skriniar has apparently agreed a pre-contract with Paris Saint-Germain to join them in the summer. You'll remember that last summer, Skriniar was heavily linked to PSG, but nothing came of it. PSG weren't willing to pay Inter's asking price, but now it looks like that deal is done. He will join on a free contract. Uh, some of the details coming out. A signing bonus of $25 million and an annual wage of $9.5 million. Those figures are in euro. The $25 million signing bonus, that sets a dangerous precedent. Normally it's one year. He's getting nearly three years. And I suppose at his age, he's looking to secure that sort of generational wealth for him and his family. It's a great signing for PSG. It genuinely is a great signing for PSG. You put him and Marquinhos together, that's going to be a really strong centre-back pairing. After the shenanigans of Sergio Ramos this season, they should look to move him on with Skriniar coming in. And I think that's that's most likely what they will do. Um because they've got Hakimi at right back. They've got Nuno Mendes at left back. Now, I do think Hakimi and Mendes are both better in a back three where they're wing backs than full backs. But Hakimi had an unbelievable World Cup playing as an out and out right back. And Mendes is so young, you probably can work on the defensive side of his game to lift that level. They've also got Presnel Kimbembe there. So they could, they could easily roll out a three. And they have played a three a number of times this season. You have to for Ramos. Good signing. Very, very good signing. That is Mr. Campos working his magic. I think that's all I've got transfers-wise. Let's see if I've missed anything. Uh, Gerald Kwanza has left Liverpool to go on loan to uh, Bristol. Yesterday, not much happened. No, Pablo Sarabia was con- confirmed a couple of days ago. Nothing else really of note. Malcolm Abue has gone on loan from Crystal Palace to Hull. Uh, super talented. Looking forward to see what he does with, with real game time. Shola Shortire gone on loan to Bolton. That's a really nice one. They've got Owen Beck and, and Connor Bradley there on loan from Liverpool. And Bradley in particular has been phenomenal for them this season. Um, Harry Clark going on uh, going permanently from Arsenal to Ipswich. Max Dean going permanently from Leeds to MK Dons. Michael Mellon heading from Burnley to Morecambe on loan. 
Seb Quirk going from Everton to Accrington Stanley on a permanent deal as well. And that is pretty much it. So we'll do the gossip. We'll take a break. And when we come back, Young Drinkle will join us. And we will go through this weekend's Premier League action and get all the predictions wrong. Although I did well last week. I do want to point out. I didn't, not so much score lines, but I did pick winners last week. Uh, Chelsea have had a £55 million bid for Moises Caicedo rejected by Brighton. That's David Ornstein. In the report, it also said it's way below what Brighton are even willing to consider and that they have no interest in actually selling him this month. So I do think he's going to stay until the summer. Chelsea have made an inquiry about Yves Basuma, but received no encouragement from Spurs about a deal that would have sent Hakim Ziyech in the opposite direction. I'm not sure why Spurs would want Hakim Ziyech, but... I wouldn't be against the idea of Basuma getting up out of Spurs. However, given Conte probably leaves before the end of the season or in the summer, and actually before I go to break, I want to talk about that from last night, uh, maybe he should just stick around. Newcastle have a nine-man transfer list, which includes Conor Gallagher, Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Gallagher's the better buy there and the better fit. Um, Hakim Ziyech, who as a backup to Almiron, not bad but not great, very different type of player. Uh, Anthony Gordon, apparently also on the list. I I just don't understand it, really. Wolves have made a £13.5 million bid for the 18-year-old Flamengo forward, Matthias Franke. Very highly regarded. I haven't seen him play, but he's very highly regarded. Uh, Newcastle, did I say Wolves? I meant Newcastle. Newcastle have made the bid for this player. Newcastle have tried to buy a few young Brazilians. Um, Andre Santos, who went to Chelsea, they tried to get, they thought they had that done. And Chelsea were able to come in and gazump them with a, a much higher wage offer. But um, it, it does look like Newcastle are being aggressive in scouting South America, Brazil in particular. They've had a good track record, you know, Nobby Solano, Almiron, that's all I can think of at the moment. Um, Gwen is going to Benfica. I've mentioned that. Uh, Jude Bellingham is set to hold a transfer meeting with Borussia Dortmund after indicating to Real Madrid he prefers a move to Spain than a Premier League switch. Um, I'm not sure how true that is. It's in the mirror, so probably not very true. You'd wonder who they're who they're um, sourcing because that's what a lot of the crap in the mirror is. So this is Colin Miller, and Colin Miller is a good writer. But is he writing this based on his information, or is he writing this based on... Okay, so he's he's writing it based on a report in Dario... D- Diario? Diario AS. Uh, not his own information. Um, if you haven't read Colin Miller's book, actually, uh, The Frying Pan of Spain, it's about the rivalry between Real Betis and Sevilla. It, it is brilliant. And I've been trying to plague him into writing um, a piece about Mon- a book about Monchi for the last two years, but he hasn't done it yet. So how, how ignorant of him. Uh, Liverpool, meanwhile, remain optimistic about the chances of signing Bellingham and want to offer him the possibility to become the new Steven Gerrard at Anfield. Tottenham want to sign Nicolo Zaniolo. I think he is, 
immensely gifted, immensely gifted. But he's had two ACL tears. And at 23, that would be a big red flag for me. Uh, Aston Villa are in talks to sign Moussa Dembele. They're stealing their our idea, well, your idea, for Southampton guy, and I think it's an outrage. Everton are speaking to Ren about a move for Camaldine Kamal, Sulemana. Uh, that is the worst possible move for him, and hopefully nothing comes of it. It's written by some chancer called Harry Whittingham, uh, so I'm not going to take too much. I, I have deduced that give me sport and caught offside have done us all a great service by accumulating all the spoofers. So there's basically those two and footy insider 24 seven. Those three sites contain probably 85% of the spoofers. So you can just immediately ignore anything that comes out. 90 minute.com probably has the last 15. So I would say those, those four sites, anything that comes out, Anybody who's associated with them, spoofer. Wolves have agreed a £3.3 million deal for Craig Dawson. I've just done that. Arsenal are interested in Jaden Anthony. That one would seem strange to me. The Gunners have to register Leandro Trossard by 12pm today. I don't believe they've done that. So he won't be able to play the weekend. Chelsea are ready to rival Tottenham for David Raya. Ferociously overrated. Crystal Palace do not plan on losing Michael Elise and Will Zaha this summer. Will Zaha has had a contract. I'm just not sure how... I'm not sure how committed Olise is to being there long-term. I think he's certainly committed to being there for the short term. But if an offer came in from a top club, I do think he'd be likely to want to go. He's got real ambitions for his career. So we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. Leicester are targeting Stoke City centre-back Harry Souther and have offered £10 million for the 24-year-old Australian international. Um, he's, he's very big. He's very good in the air and he's very slow. I do worry about him in the Premier League. Great in the air, though. He's not very slow. Well, he's slow enough. I do worry about him in the Premier League. He's not mobile. He's not quick to turn. If everything's in front of him, he's fine. Um, That is that. Okay, we had one game. I don't know why this didn't come to my head earlier. We had one game in the Premier League last night, and it was mental. Tottenham go one up on 44 minutes through Kulosevsky after Ederson, for whatever reason, decided to play Rodri into a massive amount of trouble. Ball breaks to Kulosevsky, he scores. Three minutes later, still in the first half, comical defending from City. Absolutely comical defending from City. They're all over the place. Which is not surprising considering the back four they lined up it was Rico Lewis, John Stones, Akanji and Aki, none of whom should be starting games for Manchester City right now. But they don't really have a choice because Diaz is injured. Laporte, I don't know, he's, he seems to have upset the manager. Canseo was, seems to have upset the manager. Like they had Walker, Diaz, Laporte and Canseo sat on the bench last night. That is a better back four than what you put out on the pitch. 
They also had De Bruyne on the bench, didn't bring him on. They had Bernardo Silva on the bench, brought him on. Calvin Phillips on the bench, didn't bring him on. Like players that could have made a difference. Phil Foden didn't come on. So they go 2-0 down at halftime, and they're a shambles. They've been absolutely dreadful in the first half. But they flew out in the second half. Alvarez scores on 51. Lloris maybe should have been a little bit more aggressive when he came out to try and smother Jack Grealish. Uh, Haaland scores on 53 from about a yard and a half out. Mares scores on 63. No idea how Lloris let that one in. And Mares wrapped it up in the last minute. 4-2 to City. That felt like the kind of thing that starts a run of form, a run of wins that the likes we've seen City put together in the past. They get Wolves at home at the weekend. That's a a winnable game, obviously. And then there's a game that's in the FA Cup, but I think could have a big impact on the Premier League. And that's the City-Arsenal FA Cup game. Because I think both teams will go full strength. I think it's a really good measuring stick for where both teams stand right now. If you look at the table, City are five points behind. They have played a game more, but they're five points behind. But they still have to play Arsenal twice. If they beat them twice, they'd be a point ahead. Again, admittedly, Arsenal would have that game in hand. But who would you trust over, let's say, 17 games? Would you trust Arsenal to hold that lead? Or would you trust City to chew them up and spit them out. I think I trust City because the way Guardiola spoke last night, he's he knows something's been wrong and he's going to fix it. Um, and it sounds like some of the players have been given a proper earful as well. Uh, shout out to the City crowd last night. Quite embarrassing, really. To boo, to boo at halftime. I know you're 2-0 down, but you know, stay in your lane, understand your role. And then Mara's scores and nobody really celebrates. What I I just don't understand the massive amounts of empty seats. It's it's a big six game on a Thursday night. What else were you doing? Get down the stadium. Now the city will claim it was a sellout, of course, because you know when you've got loads of season tickets sold to people in Abu Dhabi, you can do that. But um, city's fans, Jesus Christ, come on, be better than that. I know a lot of it is that the old school city fans, the real the real hardline fans that were, you know, the main road mob, they were the ones that went down with the team, supported them in what's now the championship and what's now League One, watched some absolutely horrendous football for years and years and years, and then saw them come back up, saw them grow, saw them win the first couple of league titles and have gotten a little bit put off by the glory hunting aspect that now encases their fan base. I know a lot of Chelsea fans that were exactly the same after Roman came in. You know, they enjoyed the first couple of titles. And then when the glory hunters started to land, they just stopped going. They just go and watch whoever's playing non-league close to them now. Know a lot of City fans that do the same. So, you know, I think that's a big part of why the atmosphere has gone so flat because... City used to have a good atmosphere. They just don't anymore. That's because of all these spoiled little kids. 
How do you boom Pep Guardiola? Like he's had a he's had a bad half season. <laughs> he, he won the last two titles in a row. So you won four titles in the last five years and, and a whole bunch of cups. You know, you know, Liverpool fans aren't booing Klopp. Liverpool are much worse than City this year. They're not booing Klopp. They're not booing the team. They've won less than City. They're not booing anybody. Might be calling for some players to get dropped and get sold and whatever else. Might boo the owners if they ever showed up at a game. They're not booing Klopp and the players, though. Klopp yourselves on. Right, we'll take a break. When we come back, me and Guy are going to rattle through the 10 Premier League games this weekend. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. I'm joined by Mr. Drinkle. How are you, sir? I am good. How are you, Dave? I'm I'm pretty good. My my joy at Liverpool winning a football match earlier in the week has worn off and been replaced by the horror that they're playing again tomorrow and that you know asking for two good performances in a row might be too much. And and you know, even to classify Tuesday's game as a good performance is probably a little bit of a stretch, but it was a promising performance. But uh at least we get them out of the way nice and early in this. We absolutely do, and that is the first game of the weekend, and that is Liverpool against Chelsea at half twelve on BT for UK people. Um obviously there's a million injuries for both sides here, Dave, so it might be a mess lineup wise, but they both these teams have been a mess all season, really. Um which makes it hard to predict because maybe one of them turns it on, one of them's dreadful, both are dreadful, both are good. Who knows at this stage? But I suppose a lot is do Liverpool keep the changes from midweek. Now, the Wolves game wasn't a full 180. We didn't just go back to the last couple of years of Liverpool, but it was competent, and that's mm. what's not that's what's not been this season. Yeah, they looked like a functioning team and the midfield looked like a functioning midfield. And there was nobody doing stupid things that are just, you know, unexplainable. Everybody was doing what midfielders should do. Uh, you mentioned the injuries. Chelsea are are absolutely wrecked with injuries at the moment. Kante, he's back in individual training, but he's not playing this weekend. Uh, no Sterling, no Joe Felix, no Zakaria. Chilwell's back training, but I doubt he'll be ready to play, given he's been out for, what, nearly three months now? Two months? Two months, I think, he's been out. Uh, so very unlikely, I think, that he plays straight away. Fafana probably out for another little while. Reese James back in training, but again, I doubt he plays. Um, I don't think there's been updates yet from, from Potter. Broya, Pulisic, and Mendy all out. Liverpool, no Diaz, no Jota, no Van Dijk, no Artur, no Firmino, but Darwin Nunes is back and Costa Simicus should be fine to play. So I think Liverpool will be at closer to, to full strength. I'd like to see a front three of Salah, Gakbo and Darwin with Darwin playing from the left. Uh, that would be my preference. The midfield is the big question, though. There's absolutely no excuse for Jordan Henderson to play in this game. None. There's no reason, no excuse, nothing. He shouldn't play a single minute. 
He doesn't warrant a single minute. It should be Keita, Fabinho and Thiago. But if it's not that, I'd like it to be Thiago, Fabinho and Besetic. Um, Big question here also is, will Trent come back in? My assumption is he does. And will Joe Gomez keep his place over Joe Matip? And he should, because Matip has been... Matip has been dreadful. Dreadful in recent weeks. And hasn't been good in a, in a long time. It's a handful of good uh, good performances over the last year. If you think back, wasn't it... Was it last February he won Liverpool Player of the Year? Player of the Season, not a player... Uh, player of the Month. month. Uh, that right, that rings a bell, yeah. And he was, that was the worst month he'd had of the season. Yeah. And he was never particularly good after that. And he hasn't been good this season. And he's been dreadful of late. He was awful in the last game. He was awful when he came on against Brentford. Uh, so I wouldn't be starting him. I'd be starting Gomez next to Kanate. Bring Trent and Robertson back in. Nabi, Fab, Thiago. Salah, Gakpo, Darwin. I think that is good enough. I think that wins the game. So I'm going to say that Liverpool win 3-1 if Special Officer Hoofy doesn't start. But I'm going to say that they lose 2-1 if he does start. It is crazy. One player can make such a difference. but well, He drives everybody, he drives he, everybody down around him. He does. Trent, Fabinho and Matip. Their poor form is all directly linked to his poor form. Mm-hmm. That's how much of a negative impact he has on the team. He does, he does. But as we know, Klopp does revert back to type, and obviously Milner coming in midweek as well. Would could it be back? Could the midfield be back? Uh, God, please no. Um, yeah, I think that game could be anything. It could be the worst game of football or the maddest game of football. But it's hard to predict that one. But we'll move on to the three o'clock kickoffs. Um, there is. Well, the last one is very important, but we'll get through the early ones first. Bournemouth against Forest, Dave. Obviously, uh, let's have a look at the form table. Uh, Bournemouth, four losses in a row, not good. Whereas Forest, um, two wins and a draw in the last three. It looks like Forest have finally settled into the Premier League, I think it's fair to say. I think that started before the World Cup, whereas Bournemouth, yeah, I think they're going to need January to be a big one to save them or save this downward spiral. Yeah, I mean, Bournemouth had that that hot streak after Gary O'Neill took over as interim manager, but since being made permanent manager, it's been a bit of a disaster. And, you know, like their form has fallen off a cliff. And I, I was unsure that they should have given him the job, given his lack of experience. I think they were hoping that the camaraderie and and the the positivity he built over the early months of the season would carry on, but it's not just four defeats in a row; it's eight defeats in the last nine. They beat Everton. They lost four in a row before that. They've lost four in a row since, which tells you a lot about Everton as well. Obviously, got dumped out of the cup as well, so you could say five defeats in a row. Oh, and they lost to Newcastle, so it's actually six defeats in a row across all competitions. And uh, six defeats in a row, 10 defeats in the last 12. The only two games they've taken anything from, they beat Everton twice. 
They've beat Everton twice. They lost four in a row, beat Everton twice, lost six in a row. That's It says a lot about Everton, but it says a lot about Bournemouth as well. I, I think they're in major trouble. Um, Forrest, like you said, they've turned things around and things are, are seemingly moving in the right direction. They have had some injuries, though, and this is where things get a little bit concerning for them. Tewa Waniyi out for a couple of months, and that's probably what's triggered the Chris Wood move. Uh, Dean Henderson out four to five weeks, which is a massive blow. I wonder if they look to bring in a keeper on loan till the end of the season, because do you really want to go with Wayne Wayne Hennessy, who isn't very good? Moussa Niakate, he's working back towards fitness. It's been a long time. He's about three months overdue, but he's getting there. Omar Richards, they bought with a broken leg and didn't pick it up in the medical, which is just baffling. Uh, Willie Bolly's going to be out for a little while. That's a shame because he'd been playing quite well. Lingard's out for a while. Again, that's a shame because he'd been playing quite well before he got hurt. Uh, Ryan Yates, he's back. He had a face injury, but they're hopeful he'll be okay. So that's fine. Uh, Gianco- uh, Bianconi's out for the season and Coyate's out long term. So they're in a bit of bother injury-wise, but they're in good form. Unbeaten in the last four, I believe. No. Unbeaten in the last three, two wins. Three wins in the last five. Ten points from five games. It's 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 good form. They should have beaten Bournemouth first time around, you'll remember. They played them at home. They went 2-0 up. Coyate and Brennan Johnson. 2-0 at half time. And then they chucked it away in the second half. So they will think... They need to rectify that. I'm going to back them to win because when I look at Bournemouth, no Lewis Cook, no Tavanier or Tavanier rather, uh, no David Brooks, no Ryan Fredericks, no Stanislas, no Solanke, which is obviously um it's obviously a big one. And then Adam Smith, he's back after suspension, but I mean he, he's not very good. So um I, I think that's yeah, I, I think it's going to be really tough for Bournemouth. I'm looking forward to seeing Otara though, so uh, especially because I might actually learn how to pronounce his name properly. Um, I'm going to go Forrest to win 2-1. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. wouldn't surprise me. Uh, now, moving on to the next one, we have Leicester against Brighton. Brighton, form-wise, uh, they're looking... In the last five, three wins, two losses, but the two losses, well, one was Arsenal, which was a close game in Villa. It's Brighton. They do have the odd dodgy result. Um, and Leicester, I'm very much scrolling down here, four losses on the bounce. Yeah. Um, logic says Brighton, but as we know, sometimes Brighton don't do logic is the only reasoning mm. here I can think for Leicester. Yeah, Brighton do have the odd... The odd terrible performance in them, but they've got most players back now. Now, Levi Colwell has gotten injured. He's going to be out for about six weeks. That's a blow, but Adam Webster is back, so that's a big thing for them. Webster's very good. Mulder is working his way back, and that's kind of the only other injury they have. Um, Leicester come into this game with a lot of injury issues. Uh, they've got no James Justin, no Bubakari Samari, no Johnny Evans, no Ricardo Pereira. James Madison's a doubt. Dewsbury Hall should be okay. Aosi Perez is a doubt. Ryan Bertrand is out. 
Their defense is appalling. They got walloped down at at Brighton the first time these sides played. They kind of gave up in the second half, which was a real concerning sight. Brighton come into this game on a real high. They were brilliant last weekend. Absolutely brilliant. And I think it'll be more of the same. I, I That double pivot of Caicedo and McAllister is phenomenal. And if you want to know how promising Caicedo is, look at that performance he turned in against Liverpool. While all of, all of this speculation is going on about his future, he's just completely unmoved by it. He's just doing his job and getting on with things. And he was he was incredible in that game. I am going to back Brighton to win because I don't think Leicester can defend. I will say 2-0 to Brighton. Yeah, it, it really wouldn't surprise me. I mean, obviously, introducing some of the new youngsters like Evan Ferguson and stuff like that seems to mm, have... Freshen things up a bit. Yeah, it seems to have sparked them in attack as well. And Matoma's just, I think, well, did he, he just get Japanese Player of the Year or something yeah. like that, I think? So it shows what an impact he's made this season. Um, considering he wasn't even a bloody... He wasn't even a star for Japan in the World Cup. Um, what have we got next? Southampton Villa should be a fun one. Obviously, Unai Emery... Doing going rogue and actually winning away games this this year or, or this time at Villa, um, but Southampton, albeit our bottom, did win last weekend. It was Everton, which seems to be a thing uh, at the minute, is beating Everton. But the one in the cup, the game before that, it's hard to know with Southampton because obviously it's not as random as the Hasenhutel days. But with will all these new signings make an immediate impact? Will they finally settle in under Nathan Jones? It's hard to know with Southampton, but again, I think logically he's got a look at Villa, who seem to have started off brilliantly under Unai Emery. Mm. Yeah, Villa are doing very well. And Villa are getting a lot of players back now as well. So they're missing Diego Carlos, John McGinn and Jed Steer. And there's a shoulder issue with, with Dina, but then Donker is back after being suspended. Uh, Maddie Cash is back, fully fit. Uh, Augustinson is back. Now, there's talk that his loan might get cut short after they brought in Moreno, so we'll see. And Ollie Watkins is is fit and good to go. They've obviously just sold Danny Ings. So they are, they are down a, a decent bench player. But they should be beating Southampton, even though Saints have looked good in the last two games. Walcott's a doubt, McCarthy's a doubt, Bella Kotchup is a doubt, Larius is out, and Livermento's still out after the ACL tear. He's had a bit of a setback in training, which is kind of standard, I think. I'll I'll back the Villa win because they are in better form, and Emery has won his last two games in a row away from home, which is very un Unai Emery like, as you said. Uh Carl Matchett's head might well explode if they win another away game. And it's not like they've beaten Dross. They beat Spurs away. Um, they beat Brighton away. I mean, they're they're two good teams. So I'm going to back Villa to win. I think it'll be a good game, though. I think this could be a decent game of football. I'll go. I'll go 3-2 to Villa for the fun of it. I like it. I like it. It'd be interesting to see if, what was it, John Durano that just signed as well from the MLS? Like get an opportunity whilst they're waiting mm. to replace Danny Ings or something like that. Super Obviously. talented young player. Super well, talented young player. 
it's almost strange Cameron Archer was let go, but maybe it was better to get him guaranteed football, or maybe they just don't think he's Premier League ready. I think it's a, I think it's a bit of both. I I don't think they believe he's Premier League ready, but they know he's super talented, and obviously, Borough are in in a good vein of form right now, and they're playing nice football and creating a lot of chances. So I think the assumption is he goes there, and from there he can kick on. They might well also have looked at um at Balogun, who obviously was at. Borough on loan last season. Now, he didn't get a whole ton of goals, but he did a lot of work on his all-round game, and he's flying this season at Reims. So I think I think they might just view Borough as a, a good place to go uh, for young strikers right now. So, yeah, I, I think it's a it's a good move for him. I think Duran... I'm, I'm just amazed he didn't end up at somewhere like Brighton or Brentford because they're the clubs that generally do well at getting these players. But it's a good move for Villa... Um, I assume he'll be on the bench. I assume he will. Can't see why he wouldn't be on the bench. We are due an MLS star mm. breaking in as well because Amoran's probably the only one really. I took him, for, but it took him about six years to do it. So he was managed by Steve Bruce for four and a half of those years. That is true. Fun. That is true. He, did, he well, looked uh, all right under Rafa. Then Rafa left. So. Then Rafa. The problem was when. We, when when Bruce took over, he was playing a five four one. It was kind of a five three one one, but Almiron was like it was Jolington launched up front by himself. Everybody else deep in their own half, and Almiron expected to be the link between everybody else and Jolington. And it was a little bit much to ask of one player all by himself. It, it, it was a nine-one, Dave. That's what it was. None of this. None of these no, uh, multiple numbers. It was nine defenders and one block up front. Remember when it was said Max would have had to run fifty yards to try and get the ball to do anything. <laughs> to do anything, and like then he started demanding that Jolington come back for everything, and then screaming at him to get forward when they try and counterattack. Poor fellow was absolutely uh, knackered. The, uh, fantastic. Uh, now this is probably the game we can stick at for a little well till till um one of these teams is relegated basically is West Ham against Everton. The El Sacco Derby, I think Tad named his podcast earlier in the week. Um yeah, this is a very strange game because by rumours going off Twitter, which may just be rumours going off the let down uh, let David Moy spend some money. Um rumours are that if West Ham lose, David Moyes will go. But to continue them rumours, then he then he's the favourite to get the Everton job. Yeah. So is there a situation where both these teams end up with no manager? It's just very strange. But to be honest, I think that would probably be the best appointment Everton could make realistically. It could be, but it also we've seen managers get sacked and jump straight into another job True. and it doesn't True. go well, like Dean Smith last year. Now Norwich were probably a terminal case at that point anyway, but it carried on to this season where he was poor as well. Who was, who was that Huddersfield lad who popped up? Carlos Corberon. No, no, no. When they were in the Prem. The one who... Oh, um... What's his name? The one who plays Jan Wagner. Jan Siebert. Jan Siebert? It was Seaworth? Seaworth. Jan Seaworth. I think that is him. Yes, yes. He's now... I think he works for Mines now. 
He was appointed as, oh yeah, he's he's an underage manager. He's the academy manager at Mines. So well, after the sack by Huddersfield, that's where he went. All hipster coaches go back to Mines. Yeah, very much so. So they're mecca. Um, <laughs> I like uh, Tadiwa. Tadiwa titled his uh, this week El Sacchio, which I think is, is good for this one. It's just, it's a funny thing. See, I said, I said this the other day. It, it winds me up something shocking that, like, if if West Ham lose, Moyes might get sacked. Right, so if they win, he's not getting sacked. But what if they lose their next game? Are you going to sack him then? Because all you've done is you've denied a new manager the chance to add anybody in the transfer window. If you're thinking about sacking him, just sack him. Just sack him, because... Realistically, West Ham's season gets even tougher from here. After mm. Everton, they play Derby in the Cup. Then it's Newcastle away, Chelsea home, Spurs away. Like, they're all really tough games. Then they get Forest at home. They should win that. Then they have to go to Brighton. Then they play Villa. Then they go to City. Like That's horrible. So if he wins this game, are you just going to stick with him through that run? Because at that point, you could be you could be sitting bottom of the league five points behind everybody else. Lampard seems to be under less pressure than Moyes. Their fans seem more adamant that they want him to go, but there's been no real reports from anyone reliable that he's under pressure. At least there's a couple of reliable reports about Moyes that he he could be in, in bother. Now, if West Ham don't win this game, Moyes should probably just resign because you've already lost to Everton once. And if they give you lose to Frank Lampard twice in the season... You're not contractually, but morally obliged to resign because you're clearly not doing a very good job. Lampard is awful. So Moyes has no excuse. He's at home. He's a much better manager than Lampard. And he's got much better players than Lampard. We go into this one. West Ham. Ariola's a doubt. Not that he would have played anyway because Moyes is obsessed with playing Fabianski. Skimaka is out. You mentioned that yesterday. Uh, he's going to be out for a couple of weeks. And Max Cornet is out. So that's that's a bit of a problem as well, having two good attackers missing. But for the Ev, no Patterson, no Garner, no Townsend, no Keane. Patterson and Garner are big blows for them because both of them are good players who should be part of what Lampard is doing. I can't see how Everton can win this game. Like, they've just been awful. If they do win, I, I genuinely think Moyes should probably just pack it in and go away for a couple of weeks. Yeah, I'd probably agree. I think maybe just a break and get some fresh ideas. And a- That's it. Just take the rest. Of- get sacked. Take the rest of the season off. If Everton approach you, just say to them, look, I'll take the job in the summer, but I'm not doing it now. Mm-hmm. Take take a few months off. Go and get a go and get a bit of sun somewhere because you're looking incredibly grey at the moment, and you're a, you're a much better manager than what you've shown this season. But don't jump into another job straight away. I think that's the worst thing you could do. I genuinely think that's the worst thing you could do. Back to saucy dad. Let's go. Uh. Oh, put on <laughs> put on his little uh, Spanish accent again. Yeah, I feel bad for Moyes because he had t- he did so well the last two seasons. And um, for whatever reason, he is getting it wrong over and over and over again this season. Mm. I'm going to pick for, uh, West Ham to win, 
I think they'll stay up, and I do think he can keep them up. But they've got a really tough run coming up, and they're going to need to go into that run confident. So I'm going to pick them to win. I'm going to say they win 2-0. I think it's going to be an ugly game, though. Danny Ings double. A Danny Ings double off the bench. Two late goals. That's what I'm going for. I think the thing is with Moises, you either sack him now or let him walk away and keep a bit of dignity, or you just try and back him and hope this season. Yeah. Similarly to Klopp. And, um... You come out and say, you either sack him now or you come out and say, he's here till the end of the season and that's it. Yeah. That's it. He's here till the end of the season and this he season will make a decision. He's the guy. Yeah. Like realistically, they're a better team than Bournemouth. They're a better team than Everton and they're a better team than Southampton. So they should stay up. If they go down they only have themselves to blame because there are three worse teams in the league than them. And like, in fairness, there, there's a lot of worse teams in the league. Like, they should be better than Leicester. 14, they should be better 14 than Fourteen teams worse than them. That's it. They're, like Last season, they finished, what, seventh? Season before, sixth? There should be a lot of teams wor- worse than them. But for whatever, like, the thing is, if they win this game and results go their way, they could end the weekend in 14th. And all of a sudden, it doesn't look as bad. But that's just the way the league is. I'm going to back them to win, though. I'll go 2-0. Yeah, I mean, they should win. Everton just so toxic at the minute. All the on-pitch issues as well, compounded by the off-field, uh, off-field issues. But we'll move on to the late kickoff on the Saturday, which is Crystal Palace against Newcastle. Um I think I'm right in thinking Newcastle. I mean, the one last time out against Fulham, Mitrovic should have scored a penalty, but he slipped and double-kicked it. So that could have been another draw. Obviously, the game might have been different, or even Fulham might have won. But that's two draws and a win in the last three, and the Fulham game probably should have been at least a draw. Is this maybe just a sign... Maybe not teams figuring them out, but maybe just stretching the squad a bit and purple patches of players have come to an end, like Almoran's not scoring five goals a game anymore. <laughs> um, Callum Wilson's not really that I remember scoring loads at the minute. But Isaac came back and scored at the last game, so mm. maybe that's a sign of some someone who can do some goals. But... <laughs> Not a sign of concern for Newcastle because they're obviously more steady than the teams below them. But maybe they need a, a new signing just to judge up the squad or something like that. Yeah, it does very much feel like they could do with um, an influx of, you know, fresh legs, fresh blood into the squad. Uh, I know Eddie Howe has talked about that the fact that they are looking to make an addition or two in the window. Um, I I think you give them credit, though, because they're not doing the silly things that, say, Bowley is doing or that City did back in the day when they got money. They're not throwing it around recklessly. Um, They're taking quite quite a measured approach to things. So that's, you know, that's promising. That's smart. Um. They haven't been particularly good in the last few games. Now, look, one of the draws was against Arsenal, and that was a good result to go and get a draw uh, at the at the Emirates. But they, they haven't had the same sort of attacking thrust in the last little while. And obviously, Gamerish is, is likely to miss this game, which is a big, big blow, because he's the one that makes everything tick. 
Uh, Matt targets out Shelby another six weeks or so, it looks, potentially, because he's had a setback. Uh, Anil Kraft is done for the year. Gamers is the only one there that really matters, if we're being honest. He's, he is the one that, that everything revolves around. Palace had a good result in the week. Um, they played quite well in that United game, and they probably should have won that game. You know, De Gea pulls off the world-class save. Um, Wilf Zaha gets through 1v1 and just can't get away from Wan-Bissaka. Um, no Anderson, that's a blow, but Richards looks pretty good. Uh, MacArthur is out. He's been out for most of the season, as Nathan Ferguson has as well. I'm going to go for the draw here. I don't know why, but I feel like Palace, the way they set up, without Gamerish there, that Newcastle midfield can be a little bit questionable positionally. So I'm going to go for Palace to take advantage of that. But I don't think Palace are playing particularly well, so I don't think they're good enough to win the game. So I'll go for a draw. I'll go 1-1. One, one. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. And obviously we can see Palace just click at times. Um, and Elisa with just set piece ability like that. That was fantastic. Moving on to Sunday then, we have, and if I, if I remember correctly, I think this was a very heavy defeat for Leeds last time. Was it the game where Tony lobbed the keeper from miles out, I think? Um, yeah, he got his hat-trick, didn't he? Yes. 5-1 yes. or 5-2? Yes. Um, and Leeds, it's a weird thing, because obviously there's been murmurings of Jesse Marsh losing the dressing room and stuff like that. But when I watched them, and obviously they had the really impressive result against Cardiff midweek, I, it doesn't look like a team that's not playing for the manager. I think it's just maybe an issue defensively, which you bring up uh, with Liam Cooper, etc. Mm. But I, I, I think it, if they get Bamford fit and firing, and obviously they sign the new new lad up front as well, they're obviously backing the manager. I, I just don't see where the rumours of discontent come from. And obviously, Brentford's a very tough game, to be fair. But it, I don't think it'd any, surprise anyone if Leeds won this game. But I think Brentford would be favourites. But Leeds is such a weird club at the minute. Lots of young talent. But just I think it's just injuries and maybe a lack of defensive stability holding them back. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I, I wonder if those rumours of discontent have come from a couple of senior players that are holdovers from pre-Marsh who are threatened by not being in the team and maybe fear that some of the new signings are going to take their spots. But the reason they're taking the spots is because those players aren't good enough. Like, Luke Ayling's back in the team the last couple of weeks, but he's not good enough to play in the Premier League. We've seen that. Liam Cooper's place is at risk now after the signing of Wober. He's not good enough to play in the Premier League. We, we've seen that. Um, the same thing goes for a bunch of the other players. I wonder if when he was leaving, Matthias Glish might have said something to a reporter or two as well. <clears throat> but he wasn't good enough to play in the Premier League, and we'd seen that. He's just, he's he's all right, like he's fine as a squad player, but he's not a good enough starter. Not if you want to mm-hmm. be a top half team, which is what Leeds do want to be, and that's why they they continue to spend money and continue to build. Um, we go into this game, Leeds will miss Somerville, which. It's such a shame because he'd been playing so well. Uh, four shows a doubt. Cooper is a doubt. Wober's back. Robin Cox a doubt, but he should be okay. Archie Gray is out. Stuart Dallas is still out. That's a horrendous injury that he had. So 
we'll wait and see. Um, Brentford, no, Bap- oh, Baptiste is a doubt, but might be okay. Onyek is out, Janssen's out, Hickey's on his way back, but maybe not ready to go just yet. And Rico Henry should be fine. It's in Leeds. Leeds need a win. Leeds desperately need a win. No wins in the last five. Three defeats in the last five. But they did get a really big win in the cup. And I just mean by scoreline. They were 5-0 up before they took their foot off the pedal. Um, they gave Villa a decent game last time out. They drew at West Ham. They drew at Newcastle. And they were pretty good against City. Like, it was just a couple of mistakes that they made that cost them. They're not a bad team by any stretch. I'm going to go for a Leeds win. I know Brentford are in better form. Brentford should be coming into the game confident. They've won four or five, but... Brentford, like Brighton, often have weird results, and I think this one might be one of those weird results. I'm going to go for a Leeds win, but I think there'll be goals from both sides. I'll go 3-2 to Leeds. Yeah, I could see this being a fun game. Um, Next up's Man City against Wolves, and obviously, well, to be fair, in in recent seasons, Wolves have been somewhat of a bogey team for Man City, and Adama's caused them business uh, problems. Obviously, we had handball, or lack of handball gate uh, last season. Was it Moutinho with the armpit handball? Yeah, the armpit ribcage thing. Uh, Thank you, referees. Um, And Man City, albeit against Spurs, they sparked into life in the second half, but the key word there was Spurs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, very key word. Spurs um, Spurs things. Yes. I don't know how to predict this one, because Man City, there's something not right there, and obviously Pep mm. does have the odd tantrum in a press conference, but I think yesterday was different, because he was... It wasn't just we can't compete with Liverpool, but then has a big cry and stuff like that. This, I don't know, he seemed to be challenging the entire operation to up its game or revitalise or whatever. But it it was almost human from the robot. It was, it was. It was an interesting insight into where his mind is right now. And it, it did kind of indicate that maybe he wants to stay there for the long term and, and, you know, rebuild a team to go and dominate. Now, look, it's not like he he, he he can never claim he hasn't been backed. That's the one thing he can never claim. They have spent <laughs> so much money, it is absolutely obscene. Um, and they maybe, can, maybe he wanted to keep Sterling and Jab, Gabby Jesus. And, and Zinchenko and that. Maybe yeah. he did, like, but I mean, they, they they I think because of the overall outlay for Haaland, I mean... yeah. Gabby's in Jesus basically paid the fee to Rayola. Sterling paid the signing on fee to him and his dad. And Zinchenko paid about three weeks of his wages. So um, I think that I, I still think they're going to win the league. I do. I still think they're going to win the league. I think when it comes down to it, I think they can. For the last few years, they felt like a team that could turn it on and off. So, like, you remember two seasons ago in the COVID year where there's no fans in the stands for three quarters of the season or more, they were really poor to begin the season. And then once they decided yeah. to turn it on, they just ran away with it. 
last season they kind of felt like they did the same, but they were doing it in-game. Like, they'd be really poor, they'd fall behind, they'd just turn it on for half an hour, come back and win, and that's how they kept ahead of Liverpool. But at times it faltered, and Liverpool closed quite a big gap on them. This season it doesn't really feel like they've had that ability to turn it on. So they've just been kind of grinding along, and they've had a, a number of bad results. But when you look at it, like, 19 games played, 13 wins, 3 draws. It's still only 3 defeats. So it's not it's not as bad as it it seems. It's just that it's City and we hold them to a higher standard as we should be holding Liverpool, which is why their season's such a disaster. But they've scored 50 goals. So they're clearly, you know, they're clearly able to get goals. The, the worrying thing for me is they've conceded 20 and that's not normal for a Guardiola team. Mm-hmm. Big part of that is he's had some injuries. I wonder if part of that was also at the medical staff who aren't. He, he sees that they're not getting players back to him quick enough, or he feels like maybe they're telling him players already when they're not and they're getting re injured and stuff like that. That's always been an issue with Pep, though, because always mean, De Bruyne, he had bouts of injuries for a while, didn't he? And then got rushed back, got injured, and he did the same thing with Thiago, though, at, at yeah, Bayern. Okay, yeah. And, like, the other thing he does that is is unusual is, like, if a player gets hurt, he sends them to Barcelona, certain players. He sends them to Barcelona for the medical treatment. Like he, he's done it with De Bruyne multiple times. Mm-hmm. He did it with Aguero a couple of times. He did it with Sterling once. Just sent them to Barcelona. Like, go and see this person. I don't know if it's somebody in Barcelona, the club, or somebody in Barcelona, the city, that he has a relationship with. But that's a little bit unusual to outsource stuff like that. Uh, City have no fair, injuries. Don't we send people to Boston? I used to send people to Boston when you we cared about to Boston. Yeah, but that but that was linked to our club. That was somebody True. that our owners had uh, had a relationship with, not somebody that he personally. Now Klopp has sent a few people to Germany and that as well. I think so. Maybe Might it's be who your favorite. That's exactly doctor, it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and a specific specialist for a specific injury. City have no injuries, which is just mental. We're half the season in. There's nobody injured from the City squad right now. Now, Arsenal have been very fortunate with injuries this season. Uh, no Jesus, no Reese Nelson, and El Elneny's out, but he wouldn't be starting anyway. I think Smith Rowe is kind of back, sort of, so we'll wait and see. But Arsenal, what if I, I don't know why I've said Arsenal there. I, I've got I, think, you would, I think you went to compare the two title challenges and then that's, you thought Man City were playing Arsenal. That's exactly <laughs> what happened. Um, so, like, they've both... Obviously, Arteta's learned from from Pep on how to keep the squad fit. Uh, Wolves, anyway, is who they're actually playing. <laughs> no Chiquinho, no Neto, no Sasakalazic, no Bubakar Traore. But they should have a bunch of their new signings ready to go. Um, I'm going to go the City win. I, 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 last night, like I said, it felt like something. It felt like them putting down a bit of a a bit of a gauntlet and saying, right, we're, we're, we're going to do this now because this is what we do. We're going to run off a bunch of wins and we're going to claw back Arsenal. So I'm going to back, I'm going to back city to win the game, but I think it'll be close enough. Like, I don't, I don't think it'll be a, a, a free scoring game. I'll go two nil to city wolves troubles have trouble scoring. So I'll go two nil to city. Yeah. It's a, I think Wolves have been on TV a lot, and so have Man City, so maybe that's why it's not on TV. But just surprised this one's not on some point in the weekend. Um, 
Moving on then to the late televised kickoff on the Sunday, and that's Arsenal against United. Of course, it is because this is was the uh, must see derby or rivalry in, in the Premier League for the first half of the Premier League. Arsenal, Man United. It's almost nice that this game has top of the table ramifications again. Maybe not as a Liverpool fan, but as a general, it might be. It's um, good for the Premier League. Yeah. It is good for the Premier League to have a good Arsenal and a, and a decent United. It is good. Um, from from ninety six when Wenger arrived until twenty thirteen when Ferguson retired, like this was the preeminent rivalry in the league. But for the last probably nine years no the last seven years of it it wasn't really a rivalry it was United bullying Arsenal but from for the first 10 years from from 96 to 06 beginning with Wenger arriving and ending with Arsenal losing that European Cup final to Barcelona this was the rivalry in the league and this was a proper rivalry they hated each other absolutely despised each other. And these teams would go out and they would boot lumps out of each other. And it was fantastic. And even when they weren't playing, they'd be sniping at each other. Ferguson would be saying something about Wenger. Wenger would say something about Ferguson. Roy Keane would say something about Vieira. Vieira would call him a prick. It was just brilliant. And there was just great in-game rivalries as well. Like you had Gary Neville against Bobby Perez was a fantastic rivalry. Um, in the same way Ashley Cole versus Cristiano would become a great rivalry as well. Um, now, it, obviously, it manifested more when Cole went to Chelsea, but in his early days at Arsenal, uh, that was a very good rivalry. Um, no Casemiro for this as well. We should... No Casemiro was a huge blow for United. But they beat them without Casemiro the first time. Now, I've done the Arsenal injuries. No Gabby Jesus, no Reese Nelson. And Elneny's still working his way back. United, though, they're missing a number of players. Casemiro suspended. Um, they do have Jack Butland back, though, which is good. Uh, so they'll have a backup goalkeeper. Uh, Donny van de Beek is out for the season. Martial is working his way back, but won't be ready. Sancho's still out. Diogo Delo being out... Should be a big thing. But Wan-Bissaka, to his credit, has actually done really well in the last two games. And I do think his his pace and 1v1 ability might actually work in their favour against Martinelli. Um, Greenwood's obviously not going to play anytime soon and Tunzebi's injured. I was thinking about this game last night because I was writing the preview for, um, for Liberty Shield. And... I was looking at the kind of individual battles across the pitch and I feel like Luke Shaw tends to do well when he's given a specific task to man-mark somebody. Like, we've seen him do really well against Salah and I feel like he's done really well against Saka in the past as well. Martinez, assuming they go... Martinez left centre back, Shaw left back, and and not Malashi left back. Now, in fairness, Malashi did well against Saka last time out as well, but I assume it's going to be Martinez. To be fair, Shaw's done Shaw's done quite well as a centre. Done very well as a centre back. He has. He's done very well, and I wonder if they 
if they regret spending sixty million on a player when they could have just moved Shaw infield. But Back Martinez's free. aggressiveness, I think, is the type of thing that will unsettle Eddie and Ketia. Mm. And I wonder if that centre back pairing might be well suited to deal with Arsenal's movement because they're both quite nimble centre backs. Like they're both able to turn quite well. The big, the big thing is midfield. You know, Casemiro not being there is massive. For United to win, they need to stop Odegaard. Odegaard is absolutely the key to this Arsenal team. If United can take him out of the game. I think they can have success. But at the same time, Arsenal will need to stop the Ericsson-Bruno link-up because that is opening teams up quite a bit for United. Last time they played, we saw, we saw United execute a game plan really well, which is to draw Arsenal on and hit them on the counter and expose the naivety of that defence. And I think they'll try and do the same but Arsenal's defence is better now than it was earlier in the season because they've just got more reps and minutes together. But but Rashford is also playing a lot better now than he was early in the season, as is Bruno. They could do it getting something out of Anthony. And I, if it was me, I'd probably play Garnaccio at right back instead of him. Right wing. A right wing, rather, instead of him. Um, I think Arsenal will win the game. So I'm going to go 2-1 Arsenal. But I do think there is a way for United to win this game by doing similar things they did the last time. But they'll just need to be really, really solid defensively. They just can't give Arsenal the first goal. Arsenal's last couple of games, Spurs gifted them a goal. Brighton gifted them a couple of goals. I think if you can get the first goal against Arsenal you can really put it up to them because I think they start to get a little bit panicky. But I do think they'll, they'll win the game. So I'll go for a 2-1 Arsenal win. I think it's going to be a good game. Yeah, I think so too. I think it'll be a good one. It's uh, We do have a Monday game, I should say. Um, Fulham against Spurs. Uh, always the key question, is Mitrovic fit? More importantly, you have to, he won't. I know Lloris will play, but Fraser Force is a better goalkeeper than Hugo Lloris in 2023. I, I, I think they're both awful. They I, are, I, but Fraser Force does not letting in the last two goals we've seen. No, that's true. That's true. No, he is saving both of them. He is absolutely saving both of them. I, I, think, I think Spurs should be looking right now to buy a goalkeeper. Like they, they gave Lloris a contract extension last summer. It's an yeah, awful decision. Yeah. I think it's gone up in terms of rank. I know you always say the centre-backs, which I fully agree they need mm. two. It's, no, it's goalkeeper is the, the primary it, yeah. thing they need now. He he yeah. has declined massively, even just in this season. Massively. He, he declined before that, but now he's just... He is a massive liability. I know they're linked with David Rea. I know they won't want to sell... But rather than losing them on a three, just offer 15 mil to Brentford. They've got a struck or a backup. Maybe they're just willing to start that process now. See if they'll take 15 mil. They're offering That's... 45 mil for a right wing back now. Or see no, they, and they've got three of them. Yeah. You've got three right wing backs. Just give Jed Spence a game. Maybe he's not great in training, but let's see what he can do in a game. Like, 
And let's be honest, <coughs> regardless how bad Emerson Royale and Matt Doherty, they're not costing them points as bad as Hugo no. Lloris is at the minute. No, exactly. Lloris is literally costing them a goal a game at this point, and that that is awful. Um, Spurs have everybody bar Lucas Moura available, so no excuses for them. Um, Mitrovic apparently is fit. Anthony Robinson is back. The only absentees it looks like or the only absentee, rather, it looks like, will be Niskin's Cabano from Fulham. So both teams in, in good health, which is, you know, good to see at this point of the season. Um, Spurs have been so bad. If Fulham win, they go ahead of Spurs. I feel have played the same number of games. Fulham lost last time out. Spurs have lost three of four. They've lost three of four. And Palace capitulated massively in that game. Yeah. Yeah, the Palace just rolled over for them. I'm going to say... Before you answer, Dave, who would you make... Like, this may lead on to your answer, but thinking Fulham are the favourite, is that... I think Fulham are the favourites because they're at home. I think they have to be the favourites. I'm sure you'll have the bookies will say, oh, well, it's Tottenham, so we'll favour them. But I think Fulham are the favourites going into this game. Mm. I, I think they're going to win as well. I think Fulham are going to beat Spurs. Now, it wouldn't surprise me Spurs went out and walloped them because that's what Spurs do. They just, every so often, they put on a really good performance. And they've clearly got a lot more talent than Fulham. Like, there are no Fulham players that would get in that Spurs team, bar Paulinho. He's yeah. the only one. You might you might put Issa Diop in ahead of Eric Dyer, but it's, I mean, it's a, it's a mid-off. At the minute, I'd put Tim Ream in ahead. Oh, Tim Ream would get in ahead of every Spurs defender right now. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and you'd absolutely take Leno over Lloris. Yeah, I was going to say that one as well. Leno over Lloris, of course. I'd take Rodak over Lloris at the minute. Yeah. Jesus, I wonder could we sell the Cleveland Keller for, for 25 They were They were one of the ones linked. I mean, even if it's like... We should make the call. Just offer them Kelleher for Basuma. Straight swap. Solves, yeah, solves major issues were, for both teams. Chelsea were linked with Basuma, so maybe they are thinking about selling him. Well, Chelsea are linked with everyone, so... Kelleher for Basuma solves issues for both teams. I have I have solved the issue for both clubs. Liverpool will Cal, climb Cal the... knows Conte because he was around his house. Get him on, get him on speed there. That's exactly it. <laughs> I will say Fulham win 2-1. Ooh. Now, last question. Will Conte walk after that? Because City you can City you can kind of move past because it's City and Spurs do Spurs things but Fulham... For half an hour last... For, for the first half last night it looked like a a typical Conte performance. And then Eric Dyer. <laughs> the the yeah. thing with him is he doesn't tend to walk out mid-season. This is new, though. This is Tottenham. If he feels like he's not getting backed in the January transfer window as well, because, like, even at Inter, he wanted Eric uh, Christian Eriksen, got Christian Eriksen. At Spurs, they're kind of letting the season dwindle. Obviously, he's a part of that, but... yeah. He obviously wants Pedro Porro, probably wants a keeper. Probably will definitely want a centre-back. It would go against who he is to walk out mid-season. But you're right. This is the one club that might do it to him. 
And it was really interesting the way he called out the medical people, especially given they've got no injuries. But I, he also called out the director of football. And the director of football is Paratici, who was with him at Juventus and is one of the reasons he's at Spurs now. That's probably why he doesn't like him. <laughs> Brought him to Spurs and just made him miserable. Um, I am going to say... I'm going to say no, he doesn't walk away. But I'm not overly confident in it. I do think he probably leaves at the end of the season. He might even tell them in advance, I'm going at the end of the season, start planning, so they can have, I don't know, Pochettino or whoever lined up. And next game, City as well, in the league. But you know what's crazy is that their first 10 games... They won seven, drew two of them away to Chelsea, which was, which we thought at the time was a better result than it is, and away to West Ham. And again, we thought that was a better result. Their only defeat was Arsenal. They beat Southampton, beat Wolves, beat Forest, beat Fulham, beat Leicester, beat Brighton, which is a much better result now than we thought. And they beat Everton. That was actually their best ever start to a Premier League season. If you look at the fixtures after the City game, are they... They're still in the FA Cup, aren't they? Or did they get knocked out? Spurs are still in the FA Cup. They've got Preston. So, follow up on Monday, then Preston whenever. Spurs on the Sunday. Uh, City on the Sunday, I should say. But after that... Uh, after that, it gets Leicester, Yeah, Leicester, West Ham, Chelsea, um, Wolves, Forest, Southampton... Everton, Brighton, Bournemouth, Newcastle, United. So it doesn't really get difficult till that Newcastle and United game, and they've got Liverpool, who got worse or better by then. Who knows? Because the tough games in that are are Chelsea, because it's Chelsea, and Brighton. But they're both at home. They should, after... They should beat Fulham. Like, they should beat Fulham. I don't think they will, but they should beat Fulham. They should beat Preston. City's very tough. But... If they can take what they did in the first half and build on that, maybe they can get a result. They beat City twice last year, including under Conte, and Conte has a good record against Pep. After that, they should should be going on a bit of a run there because other than other than Brighton, like there's no game there you wouldn't fancy them to win, even even in their current mess. But see, they, they've also got the Champions League coming back, and they've got. Milan, who again they should beat. I mean, this is the thing after that City game, they really should be going unbeaten up until they face Newcastle away on the twenty second of April. There's nobody in that run that should beat them. A couple of draws is okay, but they should be winning the vast majority. But there just looks to be something wrong. They've got to be they've got to go and get some players in. Like, he is the best manager you're gonna get. There are only a few managers on his level or better. You're not getting anyone better. Pochettino is not as good as him. Thomas Tuchel is not as good as him. And I really like Thomas Tuchel, but he's not as good as him. If if he were to leave, I mean, Tuchel, I think Tuchel wants to stay in England by all mm. accounts when he got sacked. I mean, maybe it'd be... Although we have seen Tuchel make it toxic at clubs in the past. It's, it's, maybe it's... That's the, the thing. 
that's the thing. I, I, Pochettino seems to be the one because he's been there. He knows them. He knows what's required. I, the fans. I think love the him. success of Pochettino in the first place though was bright, fresh ideas. It is now we're I'm guessing Pochettino's in his mid forties, not fresh ideas from Southampton. Is that going to revitalise the club, or should they look at? I know we're doing our thing where we go off on tandems, but I think this is interesting. Would it not be better to go look at someone? I don't want to shop around Brentford manager, but someone like a Thomas Frank or mm. you or won't Roberto get Zerbi from it Brighton. It might be tough to get him out of Brighton, but yeah, someone like that. Even if Potter oh. Potter may get booted out of Chelsea, if Potter got sacked. He, see, that's the he was the one. I think they've had a feeling Conte would go after this season anyway. And I think originally they banked on, well, we'll just go and we'll get Graham Potter. We'll just go and we'll take him from Brighton and that's what we'll do. And that's the plan and that's where we'll go. An interesting because... name, Dave. Marco Silva? See, I like Marco Silva, but this is the first time he's sustained doing well at a club yeah. since moving to England because it's always been a good start and then it falls apart. You know, White went to Watford, started really well. Everton made eyes at him. It all fell apart. Went to Everton, started really well. And then in the second season, it all fell apart. This is the first time he's sustained doing well. I do like Silva, but I <clears throat> I really want to see him just stay somewhere for like three or four years. Yeah. And see if he can sustain a good level. Because I think even just for the benefit of his own career, I think it's what he needs. Mm-hmm. Because he's now forty-five, mm-hmm. and this is his seventh job. He was at Estoril for three years. He was at Sporting for a year, but he got sacked for the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard for not wearing their official suit in a cup match. <laughs> he just won a cup. Like he won a cup. And they sacked him for it. That's fantastic. But it was purely because they wanted to bring in uh, George Jesus from Benfica. Ah, I remember that now. And then did not go horribly. So then he went to... Then he went to Olympiacos. He was there a year. Then he went to Hull. He was there six months. Went to Watford. He was there about eight months. At Everton, he had 18 months. This is the longest he's been at a club. Since Estoril, who he left eight years ago, nine years ago in May. So I, I just want to see him stay, build something, continue to mm-hmm. evolve the club. And if you continue agree. to impress, agree, the, those big jobs will come up. Like, we are in, in an age where managers get changed more often, managers jump jobs more often. So he doesn't need to jump at the first shiny one that comes along. He That was the mistake he made going to Everton. Because if he hadn't gone to Everton, if he just said, when Everton came to him first, he just said no. He probably would have done much better at Watford. And maybe he would be the Spurs manager by now. Or He still would have got sacked by Watford, obviously. <laughs> of course, because that's yeah. what Watford do. Yeah. But, you know, that that... Bad run at Watford and then what happened at the end of the Everton spell really did tarnish his reputation. Mm. He's and done really well to recruit because you've seen like brilliantly at Fulham. AVB will not come back to this country and stuff like that. It was almost, I don't think it was as high profile, but you had Paul Merson saying, who the hell's this guy, etc. Yeah. And he came in. But nobody would touch him for 18 months. He mm. could not get a job. After he got sacked by Everton, 
because he'd been sacked by Watford and then sacked by Everton, nobody would touch him for 18 months until Fulham went down and were desperate. So you have to applaud the decision by the Cans to be. Oh, honest. absolutely. And I think I think in fairness to Tony Khan, I think they did a much better job than everybody, including myself, gave gave them credit for in the summer. Um, I still think they left him a little bit short, but he has absolutely made the most of it. And like Joe Polina has worked out brilliantly. Andreas Pereira has worked out brilliantly. Bert Leno has worked out brilliantly. Issa Diop has done well. Willian has done really well. And he, he came back from Vinicius. Brazil. <laughs> yeah, because he wanted to live in London again, I think. I know, but Brazilian footballers go to Brazil to retire. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, he like he was on the brink of retirement and they brought him back and he's a contributing member of the squad. And Carlos Vinicius, who had a fairly disastrous loan at Spurs, is a really good squad player for them. The only one that hasn't worked out is Kevin Mbappe, but that's largely been down to injuries as well. He was linked with United, actually, to the day. I think I think Marco Silva, like I picked him the other day as my, my manager of the half season. I think he's yeah. done a phenomenally good job. And I think, yeah, I picked Mitrovic in my team of the season. Paulinho was very, very close. Very, very close. Mm-hmm. He has done, he's been a, a revelation in midfield for them. But you look through the squad, Harrison Reed's been really good this season. Um even like Decordova, Decordova, that's exactly who I was trying to yeah. think of. Bobby Decordova, consistent performances. Even Dan James, when called upon, has performed well. Niskins Cabano was playing well. Harry Wilson missed a chunk of the season, but since he'd come back, he's playing well. Tim Ream, Tim Ream was the. He was the Cameron Jerome of Championship centre backs. Yeah. Now, now he look. He's not obviously amazing, but he's performing very well. Very well. Very very well. Kenny Tete's playing at a decent level. Kurzawa hasn't had many opportunities, but he's looked decent in the two games he's played. Tosin has been pretty good. It's the has been pretty good. There's nobody in that squad that you could look at and say he's had a bad season. Yeah. It, it, of the ones that have played, a few of them obviously. They're having a bad season because they're not playing. And, it's, yeah, it's disappointment more than anything. But the ones that are playing, every one of them, there's a real togetherness there. And I, I applaud him. I think he's done a great job. Uh, and I think it'll carry on. I think I think he'll – now, I don't think they're going to finish top half. I don't think they're going to finish top half. Maybe 10th, but I do think there is a rut coming because this is what happens with newly promoted teams that have a really hot start. They do get found out in the back half of the season – when teams have seen them once already and there's a lot more footage and data and, you know, information available on them. I do think over the next 18 games, we will see Fulham drop off, but I I don't think they drop any lower than, say, 12th. No, I mean, looking at the teams below them, I think Brighton-Brentford, obviously, they may do similar, but you'd maybe say Brighton especially better players. And Brighton have two games in hand and Brentford have a game in hand, and if they win them they would go above them. Liverpool have two games in hand. Win them, they go above them. Chelsea have a game in hand. Now, it's against Liverpool, so but not both of them can't win. But let's say Liverpool win one of their games in hand and then Chelsea win the Liverpool-Chelsea game. Then both of them are ahead of Fulham. That mm-hmm. puts Fulham into 10th. And then you're just looking at Aston Villa with a game in hand and thinking, well, can they win that and make up three points? Possibly. 
Possibly, but that's probably it. I, I don't yeah. think Alice will catch them. So I'd say oh, 11 well, might be the... Yeah, 11 would've, might be the floor. Would have snapped you, your hand off. They, if you'd offered them that in the summer, they would have snapped your hand off without question. And that's us. That will do us. We have gone on tangents galore. Um, did I do the gossip? I did the gossip. So we will leave it there for today. Uh, we won't be here Monday. Uh, I have an appointment that I can't miss. Uh, but just to give you some good news, Sebastian Haller is back fully fit again after his cancer treatment. Uh, Chris Wood has been confirmed as Nottingham Forest's new number nine. Well, I don't know what number he's going to wear, but the new striker. And uh, that's pretty much all I've got for you. So we will see you Tuesday. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Network.